purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. It's the last Sabbath of 2023. Uh, tomorrow is New Year's Eve, and then we're into a brave new world. Uh, we're right in that season now uh, of kind of just vegging out, taking it easy. All, we, all you maybe want to do is uh, curl up with a good book or with a favorite movie uh, on your couch with a warm blanket, um, eating good food and spending time with family. It can be a time that's really hard to get anything productive done, and it's sort of a, a time where collectively we give ourselves permission to just be unproductive, right? Be a couch potato. Um, but it's also a time of reconnection. Reconnection with God, reconnection with yourself, and reconnection with loved ones. It's a, it's a time when uh, we're coming together to remember stories uh, that have not only meant something to those of us that are uh, actively involved in the local church community, but just into the whole cultural uh, Western place where we find ourselves. Um, maybe you're, you're here right now, maybe you aren't actively engaged in church, but you uh, find something in the aesthetic of this season that brought you out, or maybe a sense of duty or a connection to family 
brings you to church today. Um, or maybe you're taking this time to reflect and spend special time uh, reflecting on your relationship with God and your, uh, the way God has informed your life so far and will be with you in the future. But so time is a, uh, this time is a time of reflection with God, reconnection with God. It's also a time of reconnection with self. Uh, it's a time when you may be looking back over the year, making a reel to share on social media with your favorite pictures, highlights, and maybe low points from the year. It could be a time when you're looking back to this time last year, pulling that list of resolutions out from wherever it got lost. And maybe the only thing you have to change is the number at the top from 2023 to 2024, because everything has stayed the same. Uh, they're not quite achieved yet. Or maybe you've been really productive this year and you've got a lot of things going on and you're excited to uh, plan things out and prepare for a new year to come. Maybe you don't even participate in resolutions at all and you're content, satisfied with where you're at. Regardless of where you're at, it's a time of reconnecting with yourself. What brought you to this point and what uh, this next year might look like going forward. It's also a time, of course, of reconnecting with other people, with loved ones, with friends and family. Uh, I was able this week to just go briefly over to Michigan to see uh, my relatives and connect with a few really good old friends. Um, and that was a beautiful time. Uh, and so, so now, Wherever you are, uh, whatever your experience uh, is with uh, loved ones and friends, uh, it's at least a time of reconnecting in one way or another. Maybe it's a, a time feeling a little bit lonely or uh, going through loss, first season without a loved one, or maybe, maybe you uh, are in actually a place where you just need a little space. You're sharing a cramped apartment with all the visiting relatives. Uh, Maybe you've been to Grand Central and Rockefeller Center and uh, you just need to get out of the crowds. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through, it's a time of reconnection with God, with self, and with others. And this is something that means a lot to me because the sort of mission statement of what I do, I work with this project called Advent Collegiate that focuses on campus ministry, college chaplaincy, uh, our mission is thriving in relationship um, with God, with self, and with others. And so this is something that I think about a lot, and I'm actually really excited to be speaking today because this is a, an exciting time when we're thinking, processing, and planning uh, for exciting things to come. Um, the question I want to ask us today, uh, last week, we looked at the birth of Jesus. This week, in Luke 2, we're reading the story of, of one of the first things that uh, Jesus' parents did after he was born. Um, we're looking at how all of this connects into the story of, of God's plan to reach out to us and connect with us. But the question I want us to ask today is, how does this story of Jesus help me connect in relationships? And maybe more specifically to break it down into a couple parts, how does 
the story of Jesus help me connect in my relationship with God? And how does it help me connect in my relationship with myself? Those are the two relationships I'm going to be focusing on most right now. But before we get into that, I want us to ask, what is connection? So this is something I'm actually really excited about, because connection is a word that we use a lot. Uh, we throw it around a lot. We throw around things like healthy relationships, thriving in relationship, connection. And yet, it, it sometimes is easy to get lost in understanding what that actually means. And I feel like in just the last month, I've had sort of a, a personal revelation or, or just a clarification uh, of what that means to me. And so I want to share a little bit about what is connection, starting with what we see in the text here in Luke 2. We see in the text, of course, we're familiar with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, but then we see two new characters. We see Simeon and Anna. Both of them are described as just and righteous and super devout. Uh, Simeon hears a message from God and is led by the Spirit to the temple. Anna uh, apparently lives at the temple, day and night, just always there worshiping. And they both have very similar reactions when they first meet this baby Jesus. It says in verse 28, Simeon, he took him, when he sees Jesus, it says he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Sort of like the, the baby dedication we just, uh, we just had today, actually. This <laughs> is beautiful. Um, it says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's first reaction to being with the one that he already knows, God has already told him, is the Christ, which means the anointed one or the Messiah, is to speak. He describes the one he sees. He articulates Jesus' identity and role in God's quest to reconnect with humanity. And there's Anna in verse 38. It says, when she sees Jesus, she says, and, co and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. Right away, just like Simeon, Anna also speaks, though instead of only speaking to Joseph and Mary, she goes and tells anyone who will listen, anyone, it says, who is interested in this uh, story of redemption. For both, the natural response to meeting Jesus is to start communicating. When I was in business school, my management professor liked to define communication as making meaning common. And so one way of looking at what we're seeing here in this story is Simeon and Anna are making meaning of their time with Jesus. And they're not only making it internally, personally, but they're making meaning together in community. 
And this is what has like really stood out to me this month. Just this clear understanding of what it means to connect with someone. In my understanding, communication, writing, speaking, any kind of bringing something from an object or a person into some kind of articulated uh, description is how I'm starting to think of as the very definition of connection. Articulation is connection. When Simeon and Anna speak, they are connecting with Christ. And they're connecting Christ with themselves. I've quoted before the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein, who writes, the limits of my language are the limits of my world. And one way I'd like to apply that to this story is to think about how the limits of my language are the limits of my relationships. Have you ever felt understood by someone? I felt, uh, so, so just in, a, in our collegiate discussion this morning, uh, Jerome asked a question about what was a time from this last year that you wish you could go back to, either to change or just to relive. And I hadn't thought about this, but uh, uh, when it came my turn to share, uh, I said uh, December 26, because that was the day this last, uh, just three days ago, four days ago, when I was meeting with these, my, my family and my really good old college friends um, who have this ability to understand what I'm saying even as I'm saying it. I don't know if you've experienced this, but a friend who can almost say even better than you can say what you're trying to get out as you're talking, maybe you're pausing, trying to come up with words, and they already know. They start saying it. They, and, and, and when they say it, it feels like you know yourself even better than you did before. And so something like that can be incredibly meaningful. And to me, I'm starting to realize that that is the essence of connection. It is this ability to articulate someone else or something else. We see this all the time in uh, school. You have to write essays, you take exams, and the better you're able to articulate something, the better the professor knows that you understand the subject, that you know the subject, the better your grade will be. We see this in Wedding showers, when the couple has to play a game about how well they know each other, they get asked questions of, oh, what is this person's favorite thing? Or what is something that they've done in the past? And it's all a, a fun game, but you're really getting a sense for how well this couple is connected and how well they know each other. And you even see it in arguments uh, and in discussions. You can choose, we have two different names uh, for different ways of presenting the other side, right? You can create a straw man argument or a steel man argument. And you know that the straw argument is easier to destroy, it's easier to win if that's the side that you present, but that's also the least convincing argument to the person that you're talking with because they know that's not an accurate representation of what they're trying to get at. But when you get to a, 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 a strong description of the person you're talking to, the steel argument, then that's when you're actually connecting and talking and working out something that you both can understand and agree to. Articulation is connection. 
I know for myself, personally, I often think something makes sense in my head until I try to explain it, until I try to put it in words. And that's because, for me at least, it's easy to be sloppy when it's just floating around in my head. But when I, when I try to start writing something out or explaining it to someone in front of me, that's when, for me, my thinking starts to be productive and I actually start to make these connections. I've noticed in my life, it's the times when I'm journaling that I feel most connected with who I am. Uh, and I feel like I have direction and a sense of purpose. Um, so we can define connection as the ability to articulate the object of connection, the person or the topic, to be able to describe it, to know the ins and outs. And the more accurate and more in-depth the articulation, the truer the connection. So the question is, that's, that's connection. Articulation is connection. But the question for today is how does the story of Jesus connect me in relationship with God and with myself? One of my all-time favorite quotes, which I don't think I've shared yet here uh, over the last few years, uh, mostly because I feel like it's almost a spoiler and I don't want to spoil things for you, but it's from C.S. Lewis's last novel, Till We Have Faces. It's a retelling of the myth of Cupid. And he takes on the persona of an ancient queen named Oriole, writing her autobiography. In the autobiography, the queen uh, basically writes a, it essentially amounts to a complaint against the gods. Uh, she's been through a lot. She has a lot of reasons to hate the gods, to be angry at the gods. And so she writes this out in her book. But in the process of writing, something changes. And finally, at the end, the queen's story takes a twist. See, she's actually given an opportunity to read her complaint before the gods, the story that she's been telling herself over and over. And Lewis writes this from, again, this is from the queen's perspective. The complaint was the answer. To have heard myself making it was to be answered. Lightly men talk of saying what they mean. Often when he was teaching me to write in Greek, the fox would say, child, to say the very thing you really mean, the whole of it, nothing more or less or other than what you really mean. That's the whole art and joy of words. A glib saying, when the time comes to you at which you will be forced at last to utter the speech which has lain at the center of your soul for years, which you have all that time, idiot-like, been saying over and over, you'll not talk about joy of words. I saw well why the gods do not speak to us openly, nor let us answer. Till that word can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? Now, there's so much I wish I could dive into and, and highlight about that quote, but I want to focus on the last couple lines, the last two questions. Till that word can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? Lewis makes a revelation here that blows me away every time I read it. 
That task of, of digging that word out of us is the task of a lifetime. Identifying the story that we live our life by, the maxims that we repeat to ourselves over and over in the course of life, the self that really lies at the core of who we are, and that the constant kind of babbling of day-to-day -day life doesn't always get to, it's not an easy thing to do, to get down that deep. And unintentionally, we can go our entire lives without actually getting there, missing the point of all of these high-level things that we're doing and saying, missing out on the deeper meaning that lies at the core of who we are. And Lewis raises the question, how can we have a meaningful conversation or a meaningful relationship, a meaningful connection with God when we aren't even able to articulate who we actually are? When the things that we say that we think we mean, when it all comes down to it, actually are not at all what we are even about. Lewis connects this to the metaphor of faces. How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? Digging this word out of us is nothing less than discovering our face, our identity, our personhood. And just like Lewis does in this book, taking on the persona of Queen Oriole, in our lives, we live by putting on and taking off a variety of personas all the time. I've heard people say, um, I don't know where this comes from, but to say, I am not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. We're continually trying to second guess what other people think we are. And that becomes a piece of our identity as far as we can tell. Rene Girard, a philosopher, writer, academic, significant figure of the, the 20th century, pioneered this uh, concept of mimetic theory, of mimesis. And he writes, man is the creature who does not know what to desire, and he turns to others in order to make up his mind. We desire what others desire because we imitate their desires. In this context, in this life, where we're putting on and taking off personas, where we're affected so much by the desires of other people, it's easy to lose sight of ourselves. I've been in New York now for almost three years, working in college chaplaincy, and it's been difficult and interesting in ways that I never expected it would be. First of all, I thought that working in ministry would give me license to have really strong opinions about uh, all of these like spiritual things. But what I've discovered is, is ministry is actually more about what other people are going through and about listening um, instead of speaking. And that's kind of the philosophy I've, I've operated with um, Kind of, kind of a process of like subduing my own feelings in order to be present with other people. And maybe I've done that a little too much. I'm still sorting out uh, the balance there. But my time in New York has reminded me more of high school than any time since I graduated. I don't know if you all feel like this or not, but you know, you know what it's like to be in high school. Everything that is important 
is what other people, uh, at least for me, what other people thought of me, right? I was trying to figure out who I was. I was so concerned with fitting in, with looking cool. The social pressure was, was constant. And eventually I kind of grew out of that and experienced some freedom. But, uh, but coming, coming here to New York and just being consistently surrounded by like class and wealth and success and just all of these just people <laughs> all the time um, has, has felt more like high school than anything I've experienced before. And it just brought back these uh, social pressures. And I think combining these two things, right, my work in ministry, learning to kind of subdue uh, the, some of my personal feelings in order to be present for others, and then also this, uh, this place of kind of intense social pressure that is New York uh, has sometimes left me feeling a little disconnected with who I am. I started to notice this recently. Uh, started to notice things that I once really wanted to do, was really passionate about. All of a sudden, instead of driving those things, I, I notice in some ways it feels like I'm being pushed along. Like, like other people are kind of directing and guiding where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, because I don't have a connection with myself and a clear vision about where I'm trying to take that thing. And so I've, I felt a little disconnected from myself. And this process of just the last month, really, of kind of thinking through this has really helped me uh, remember how I found connection in the first place. The times in my life when I've been consistent about journaling, about writing out, articulating myself, have been the times when I've been the most uh, clear on my purpose and my passion and why I'm here in the first place. I remember another statement that is a little more justice-oriented, uh, but, but I think applies nevertheless to the same, the same thing. And it's not actually a, an exact quote. It's kind of a paraphrase, but you've probably heard it before. It's attributed to Martin Luther King Jr. It says, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Um, that quote is not found anywhere in his sermons or writings, but there are some, some sentences that are very similar along those lines. One in a sermon that was given right after uh, some of the uh, protests in Selma. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. When we stop using our voice, when we stop articulating something, and whether that's spoken or in some kind of action, when we stop communicating through our actions, that's the moment, the day, when we start to lose connection with who we are. So giving voice to things that matter to you is important. There's another uh, pastor, author, uh, right now, John Mark Comer, um, writes this book called Garden City. And he makes the point that vocation comes from the word for voice. So our job, our career, our calling, our vocation are also a form of communication a form of, ultimately, connection. 
the times I've been most motivated and connected to my purpose are the times that I've been most uh, articulate with who I am and what is important to me, both in writing, journaling, and in acting. And so my main New Year's resolution is to do more of that. But here's where we get back to the gospel. Articulating yourself can be the work of years, decades, a lifetime. So in the meantime, where is the hope? Does everything just hang on our ability to articulate who we are? Is, are we really in a situation where we cannot see God face to face until we have faces? Unless something changes, connection is a long ways off. But here's where the story of Jesus comes in. If we go back to Luke 2, verse 30, it says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Even before we knew ourselves, when we were still figuring out our face, our identity, God took the first step in connecting with us through the Incarnation through becoming a human with a face just like ours that we could see and recognize. What Simeon and Anna saw in baby Jesus was the story of God seeking connection with us. Christ is God articulated in a way that we can understand. Even when we can't, quite articulate ourselves. And it's through this Christ that we can learn to know our own selves as well. We can learn to know God and we can learn more about ourselves. See, this queen, Oriole, that C.S. Lewis was writing about, she was hurt. She had really good reasons to hate, to resent uh, the gods that she thought she knew. And this led not only to hating them, but it led to hating and hurting herself and the people around her unintentionally. See, when we're hurt, we fasten on to a story, whether it's true or not, something to make sense of where we are and why this is happening. We want to have some kind of meaning to what we're going through. But the beauty of the story of Christ, Christ, God incarnate, God with us, as the book, um, this title that we were looking at earlier this fall, is Jesus' accessibility to us even before we figured ourselves out. The story of Jesus connects me in relationship to God as a presentation of God in a language that I can understand even when I don't know who I am. But the story of Jesus also connects me in relationship to myself by offering a peaceful presence in the midst of my own hurt and confusion. It's a presence that can heal me as I make attempts to articulate myself. See, this Queen Oriole, all her life had been articulating these stories, these maxims about what was really happening. And yet at the end of her life, when she read through it all, she realized that the people she thought she loved, she had been hurting. 
and the things that she thought were important to her were actually just these outworkings of her own selfish desires. When we're hurt, we try to grasp on to stories, whether they're true or not. But with the story of Christ, the articulation of God, available to us now as we are learning to express ourselves, articulate our own identities, provides a healing presence that can give us the courage and the freedom to articulate without falling back into whatever defensive barriers we have the tendency to cling to. The 20th century Swiss theologian Karl Barth once said that, I've read many books, but the Bible reads me. Have you tried to articulate yourself in the presence of God? Have you tried journaling in prayer? Or even reading prayerfully through the Bible? What comes up when you do this? What does it show you about yourself? What does it show you about God? If we go back to verse 34 in Luke 2, Simeon again is, is talking after seeing the child Jesus, and he says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This prophecy foretells some of the incredibly tragic things that are about to happen to Jesus while he's on earth. And maybe, maybe it can even be said to prophesy about some of the tragedies that humanity will, will inflict on itself, ourselves, um, in the centuries and millennia since. But by allowing us to see God face to face, God reveals here who we really are. Even in the midst of these tragedies that we bring on ourselves. We see in the story of Jesus, eventually, from a baby, growing up, living a life, um, eventually leading to terrible death. We see his innocence, his utter innocence. And the terrible things that we as humans can do to utterly innocent people. And so seeing God face to face, as we're articulating our own face, our own identity, it can show us some of the sad, some of the scary, some of the bad things of who we really can be, the crucifiers of God. And nevertheless, the story of Jesus doesn't end there, but ends by assuring us that even in that, we are still loved. God enables us to know God through the revelation of Jesus Christ. But perhaps as importantly, God enables us to know ourselves through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as you move forward this year, as you reconnect with God, as you reconnect with yourself, and as you reconnect with other people, may the story of Jesus come to you easily, no matter where you're at in your own journey of discovery because Jesus is accessible. And in that presence, as you continue to articulate, to communicate who you really are,
May Jesus' presence be a healing and insightful presence so that you will be able to understand and know yourself more fully than you do now.